Grace and peace to you from God our Savior, Jesus Christ. To your Christian friends, why? You've asked it, and I'm sure you've heard it. Why? Kids love that question, don't they? Why? Why is the sky blue? Why do I have to go to bed? Why can't I eat chicken nuggets for every meal? Why? And if you actually do some research into it, if you Google it, there's countless, countless psychology articles and actually TED Talks and the whole deal on why, kids ask, why? And you might be surprised to know it's not just to annoy or frustrate mom and dad. In fact, I think kids are onto something. Because as we grow, as we take on more responsibilities, as our, our task list becomes bigger and bigger, we kind of stop asking why, don't we? And instead, our questions are what and when. We tend to focus on, on all of the, the voluminous, the massive amount of things that we need to get done and when we need to get them done by. And, and that takes up so much of our bandwidth, so much of our mental energy and our physical energy as well, that we don't have time to think about why. We just have to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and we have to do it by this time and that day. And so we set reminders on our phone and we use Siri and Alexa and Google and everybody else to, to remind us because we've got all this stuff to do and we can barely remember it all. And we, don't, we just don't even have time to think about why. With all of our focus on what, and all of our, our attention to when, we lose track of that first and perhaps most important question, why? It's maybe not terribly surprising that because of the growing distraction and the growing burden on our, our lives, that there's becoming a kind of a circling back to study and, and, and focus on why again. In fact, maybe if you've heard of this guy or seen his face, whoops, that, that brings us to our first, our first takeaway this morning, that I need to remember my why. It's really important that we remember that point. Why am I doing this? And so with that in mind, maybe you've seen this guy before. He's slightly scruffy, scholarly glasses, English, English voice. His name is Simon Sinek. He, he became kind of famous, actually, because of a video that went viral called The Millennial Question. Maybe you saw it about a year and a half ago. Um, but he actually became, came on the scene 10 years before that. He, 10 years ago, wrote a book called Start With Why. And the whole premise is that we become so focused on what, and we've gotten lost in, in all the to-dos and the deadlines, that we've forgotten why we do things. And he's gone on to write up follow-up books and speaking engagements and TED Talks and all, all of that as well. But I think that the point is, is important to keep in mind that when we get focused and absorbed with what, and when we get 
get concentrated on the when, we lose why. And when you lose why, you know what happens? You start to do stuff, what, you would never do otherwise. You get pulled off balance and off point and off whack so easily. But Simon's not the first guy to ever talk about why. In fact, he's not even the most well-published or widely known author that talked about our why. There was a guy named Paul who did that. And, and maybe you remember, we've heard about him not all that long ago. We first heard about him a couple of weeks ago when Paul was not named Paul, he was named Saul. And he was a persecutor of Christians. He was a well-educated man. He was passionate, he was highly motivated. And he thought his motives were pure as he went around and pursued Christians and arrested them and threw them in prison for nothing more than believing in Jesus. That all changed on that road to Damascus as Paul went there, Saul went there to arrest more Christians and Jesus literally stopped him and said to him, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, who are you? And the answer came back, I'm Jesus. See, Saul's motives were right, but he was going in the wrong direction. He was persecuting the real, true, living Savior God. And Jesus called him out of it. Wanted him to, to turn, not just, not just to turn his life around, but to turn to the one true God to his Savior. And so God struck him with blindness and then sent a man named Ananias three days later to heal Saul of his blindness, to tell him about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and to baptize him. Saul then became Paul and made it his mission then to live for the purpose God had given him. And that was to travel around the Mediterranean world to do nothing but teach and preach about Jesus and to start churches. But it would have been pretty easy for Paul to get his motivation wrong, to get his, to get his why mixed up. I mean, think about it. He had, for years, been passionately pursuing against Jesus. I've got to imagine that the devil tried every single day to drown him in guilt. I can't believe that, that you're doing this. Do you know how bad you were? Well, you better try harder. I've got to imagine that he was motivated by fear, at least at times, or tempted to be, right? That he had to do more and more and better and harder. Because maybe he had to do, maybe he hadn't done enough. I've got to imagine that there was a temptation for pride as he traveled around and and God did amazing things for him and brought people to faith and he started churches and he started to become known temptation for, for pride there. And I, I'm pretty sure that that's what people thought. In fact, that's exactly what people thought. The people in Corinth, where Paul wrote this letter, the people were wondering, why? What in the world motivated you? How did you go from being this persecutor 
of Jesus and Christians to being a preacher of Jesus for Christians. Why, Paul, do you live so boldly for God? Why do you risk your life time and again after you've been stoned and shipwrecked and beaten and every other thing and you keep doing it? Just to tell people about Jesus, is it really worth it? Why are you willing to travel around and, and not have a, a home and a family and work and friends and, and all the stability and comfort and, and peace that that brings? Why? You ever get asked that? Why? When you fight against temptation, wouldn't it be a whole lot easier? Maybe you think it'd be even better. Why? People definitely want to know, right? Why won't you have another drink with me? Why won't you do this? Why can't you go there? Why won't you say this? Why? What's your motivation? Why do you fight against temptation? Why do you watch your words carefully, using them to build up and, instead of tearing down? Why do, you, why do you invite someone to church or even just tell them what God has done for them, even though you've heard their anti-Christian, anti-God talk before, even though you've seen what they post on social media, you're pretty sure you know what's going to come out, and yet, you do it anyway. Why? It's important for us to actually ask ourselves that question, to stop and slow down the what the when, the busyness, and the to-dos for a moment. And to think about our motivation. And the reason it's important to think about that is our second takeaway this morning. Because there are plenty of bad motivators. And doing something right for the wrong reason does not make it good. We wish it did. We wish the ends justify the means, don't we? But it does. And, boy, just like, just like Paul, guilt is always trying to jump in there. There's always the temptation to do things out of, out of fear, whether it's fear of God or fear of our boss or fear of our parents or fear of being known or being seen, fear of loss of reputation. Temptation to do things out of pride. I want to look good. There's the temptation to do things out of, out of jealousy or comparison. Right? Got to keep up. Got to look better. There's a lot of bad motivators out there. And so I want you to give a few seconds of thought and fill in the blank. I know that I struggle with what? As a wrong motivator. So while we're thinking about our why this morning, it's good to go back to the place, to the person that has the perfect answers, the perfect motivation, God. The funny thing is, if you ask the average non-church-going person what they think, why Christians live the way they live, I bet the answer that you would get is the answer that they have seen and probably given when Kids ask their parents, why, too many times? Because I said so! And God could say that, couldn't he? 
when he's God. And he has said so. He has told us to, to love others and to forgive and, and to do all these other life-changing things. But that's not actually what God says is our motivation. That's not actually why, why he wants us and why we do what we do. That's not what motivated Paul and it's not what motivates us. Instead, we find that in 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he, Christ, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So our motivation is simple. It's Christ's love. That's what compels us. That's what urges us on. That's what pushes us forward. That's what guides and directs us. Not that you must. Not you should. It's Jesus, who didn't live for himself, but lived for me, lived for you. And notice he didn't just live, right? People want to talk about how Jesus lived in love, and absolutely he did. But he didn't just, like, live in love, and then that was the end of the story. He lived in love so that he could die, right? We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. See, in love, Jesus didn't just live. In love, Jesus died. And, and he died not just like the death, end of life, stop breathing death, but he died the death that we deserve. That we deserve because of our sins, the, the punishment that our sin earns for all of our failures, all of our insincere words, our impulsive actions, all of our selfish thoughts and attitudes. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus lived. And that's why he died. So that his death is the punishment that we deserve. When he died, he so understand Jesus died because of us, because of you and me, and every other human being that's ever lived on this planet, he died because of all. But notice, it doesn't just say he died because of all. He died for all. In the place of all. Jesus died for you and for me. In our place. And therefore all died. That's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it? That when Jesus was on that cross, when he stopped breathing, he had suffered the punishment of, of hell. And he did it so that it counts for us. When he died, so did the death we deserve. That's an amazing statement that God put all of all of our sin, all of our punishment that we deserve on his own son, and he lived it, and he died for it. So that when God looks at you and me, he sees people that have already died to sin. That our punishment has already been paid. And that means that his death counts for me and for you and for all people so that, that we stand before God now forgiven. 
that we now have life, life that is free from the punishment that awaits, life that is free from the shackles of guilt and shame, free that is, is life that is free from, from all the baggage of this world, life that's free to be lived for God. And that's why the Bible says that next verse, right? And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You and I, we are those people, the all among, among others, that Jesus died for. And, and so we are part of the all who now live, who now get to live. We get to live for Jesus. We get to live for the one who loved us so much that he died for us. Right? And that brings us to our third takeaway this morning, that I live for Jesus, not because he commands me to, but because he loves me, because he died for me. Let me give you an example. Many of you know who this is, right? Michael Flick. 16 months ago, Deputy Flick was killed in the line of duty. He was part of a, a task force that was tracking stolen cars. And when they went to apprehend a suspect, to arrest a suspect, that suspect opened fire. And, and one of the members of Deputy Flick's team his name was Deputy Stone. He was the first officer wounded. He got shot in the hip. Deputy Flick, though, instead of diving for cover, he charged the suspect. He's fatally shot. But because of his actions, the rest of his team could take cover, draw their weapons, and return fire. And like on the one-year anniversary when he was asked about that whole incident, Deputy Stone said, I am certain that Michael Flick saved my life. The next bullet wasn't going to hit me in the hip. It was going to hit me center mass, and I was going to die. He saved my life. I'm alive today because of him. And you know what he said? He actually quoted a Bible verse and said that the, the words that, that ring in his head were words that Michael Flick, who was a Christian, lived by. And they were, love each other as I have loved you, Jesus' words in John 15. And he said that's because that's how Deputy Flick lived. He loved everybody. And so now, I want to live my life to honor him. I want to live my life the way he would have lived it. Those are pretty awesome words, aren't they? And that's an amazing to know that you are alive today because someone else gave their life. That's an incredible thing. But that's actually nothing compared to what Jesus did for us, is it? He saved us from a fate far worse than, than death. He saved us from hell itself. He saved us for life itself. And now, because of him, because of faith that he's given us, that, that lives in us, that knows him and loves him, 
we are alive. And so we get to live because of, not Deputy Flip, but because of Jesus. And we get to live then the way that he lived. We get to live out of love because he loved us. See, what compels us, what motivates us is Jesus' love. That's our why. And it's important to remember that. Because what happens when you lose your motivation? What happens when you just do things but you forget why? And your motivation goes out the window. Well, when it comes time to forgive someone and it's not motivated out of, out of love, out of Jesus' love for me, out of Jesus' love even for that person, Forgiveness tends to be because of guilt. Well, I'm supposed to forgive them. Ugh. Suppose I should. But you don't actually forgive them, do you? I mean, you, you maybe say the words, but it's not actually from your heart. It's not actually in your heart. And, and that hurt lives on, and it lingers. It becomes a, a festering wound. what happens when you show someone kindness. But it's not motivated by the love of Jesus, not motivated by what God has done for me and his kindness, but it's motivated out of fear. Fear that I have to for God, or fear that, that I have to for my boss, or fear that I have to for my parents, or fear that I have to so that somebody doesn't know. That's not actually sincere kindness anymore, is it? That's a, that's a show. That's fake. That's not actually you being kind to anyone. That's you playing a role. What happens when you do your best and you use the gifts that God has given you and the talents and the abilities and the opportunities and you do them all for you? You do them all out of pride. You do them all out of jealousy and comparison of others because you want people to look at you. You want to prove to yourself. You want to prove to others. Maybe you even want to prove to God. Hey, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at what I've done. Now all those things that you do in God's eyes are worthless. It can be really easy for us to lose the right motivation, even though we do the right thing, when it's motivated out of self, right? Because that's where those, all of those flow back into me. Pride, guilt, fear, they're all about me. They're all about, well, I don't want to lose my reputation. I don't want people to see me doing that. I don't want to be known for that. I, I want to do what's in my best interest. It's really easy to be motivated for myself. But that's what's amazing about what God did. He wasn't motivated by himself at all. He was motivated out of love for us. And that's what Jesus did. He came here not to, to become known, right? Not to become famous, not to become a hero. He was mocked and persecuted and laughed at and walked away from. And yet for every single one of those people that did that, what did he do? He died. He died for all of the times that they did that, and he died for all of the times that we do. He lived and he died because he loves us. 
And it's that love that, that motivates us to live for something bigger than just ourselves. To live for someone besides ourselves. To live for our God. For our God who made us. For our God who, who loves us. For our God who takes care of us every day. For our God who saves us. It's His love that motivates us to do what otherwise we couldn't, wouldn't do. It's love for God, love from God, and love for God that motivates us to forgive. Not because He says I should, but because I remember, holy cow, I remember all the things that I did wrong. And when I start to, to think about in reality, what I've done and what God has forgiven for me, boy, this is, this is a blip on the radar. This is nothing. This is insignificant. The debt of God, of love that God has forgiven for me. Wow. It's hard to be unforgiving when you understand what you've been forgiven. When that friend comes to you and, and just needs you to listen, even though they're struggling because of a mess of their own making. And you're tempted to go, Ugh. Christ's love motivates us to just listen. The way our God listens to us as we go to him and tell him about the mess of our own making. And he listens without rolling his eyes and shaking his head and he says, I've got the answer for beauty is that you get to do the same. Not that you have the answer, but you've got the one who does. And you get to tell them, let me share with you what God says. Let me tell you who I'm going to talk about, talk to this about in just a few minutes. It's God. You're going to go on your behalf to him. Christ's love is what motivates us to to love. To love our love those who don't love us back. To love those who hate us. It's what motivates us to, to have peace. It's what motivates us to, to show kindness, to be patient. All those things that, boy, they don't come naturally, do they? They're a struggle. And yet it's Jesus' love that enables us, that pushes us on to fight against temptation, to see the, the dangerous reality of sin. And to say, I don't want anything to do with that because I know what it costs. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross, right? It's that motivation. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about his love for me. And that's a really important point. And I, I pray that you remember it and take it with you. It's our last takeaway. It's my why. It's really simple, and, it's, and yet it's really important. And it's so simple that I don't want you to look, look past it. My why is because Jesus loves me. That's what compels us. That's what motivates us. So that it's not just about all the what's and all the by whens, but that I stop and I, I calibrate my heart 
Why? Why do I change the diaper? Why do I do the dishes? Why do I go to work? Why do I do this? Why do I do that? Why do I speak kindly to my neighbor? Why do I, why do I smile and wave when all they do is make life difficult? Why? 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 Because Christ's love compels me. Because I am convinced that he died for me. That's the one.